0: Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. This is episode 26 called Agnes. So Agnes was introduced to me by a mutual friend of ours, our buddy Roger, and she's an advertising executive in New York City who spent her 20s and early 30s avoiding pregnancy, assuming there'd be plenty of time for marriage and babies like so many of us do. Uh, At 36, she decided to freeze her eggs And she chronicled the whole thing on this great blog called Frozen Please, which then turned into a book called Eggs Unscrambled. And the subhead of that book is egg freezing, fertility, and the truth about your reproductive years. And I'm not kidding. This book is so informative and entertaining, and it should be required reading for everybody, especially women. Men, too. I feel like could get a lot out of it but there's just so much that we don't know about our own bodies and she goes into all of it. So I knew we would have a great conversation and we did. And I just want to thank her and I want to thank Roger for introducing us. So without further ado, this is Agnes's infertility story. <laughs> Agnes. Hello. So, it's so good to meet you. Thank you so much for doing this. I love your book. I just want to say, first of all, that you have this book that came out, was it 2017? Mm-hmm. It's called Eggs Unscrambled. It's just such a great book about egg freezing, fertility, the truth about your reproductive years. Thank you for deciding to share your story. And I definitely want to talk about the book a lot more, but let's start with how it all started for you. So it was 2012, I believe, that you yep. kind of started to try, start trying to have a baby and what happened?
1: Yeah, so I got married in 2010 and around 2012, probably before 2012, we started to kind of actively try. And I think as the case with most of these fertility journeys, you start trying just by stopping protection, You stop worrying about when you're ovulating, Mm -hmm. if you even know what that means, which Mm -hmm. I didn't at the time. And I'll get into that later. So I think we kind of started trying early on in the marriage Mm -hmm. and then trying in earnest about two years later, which is where we started to get conscious about the fact that it wasn't happening Mm -hmm. for us. And that's when I started to have conversations with my GYN, My GYN at that point, I remember my very first conversation with her about it. I had been seeing her for years, but I said to her, you know, we've been trying to get pregnant and uh, nothing's really happening. She said, okay, well, at your age, infertility is defined after a year of trying. Mm -hmm. When you get older, it's six months, but at your age, after a year of not trying, you would go and see a fertility doctor. She said, what I would recommend is timed intercourse. Um, That's sexy. So hot, especially like (laughs) for newlyweds. Like there's nothing hotter than that. Um, Exactly. And it gets especially tricky when people are traveling for work and then you suddenly have to like put things in the calendar.
0: Right, right. So you had this really high pressure, high stress, high travel job at yeah. the time. And sounds like you still kind of do. You're traveling yeah. a lot Yeah. That
1: then, has not and, changed. Yeah. things never changed. So that's
0: adding that, that to, adds pressure. That yeah. definitely
1: adds pressure. But I think the biggest moment, the biggest sort of wake up moment for me during that time was having the conversation with Dr. Dunham, who, who's my GYN. And she said, why don't you pick up the fertility, a fertility kit, um, or sorry, an ovulation kit mm-hmm. at a Duane Reed and just start figuring out when you're ovulating. And I was like, wait, what? She's like, yeah, just start timing sex around ovulation. And honestly, at that time, like I knew that you ovulated, Mm -hmm. uh, but I never considered that you actually have to be so specific about the timing of it that like they make kits for you to pee on now to figure out when you're ovulating. And, I didn't realize that you really could only get pregnant a few days out of the month at a very specific time yes and so I was like oh my god like there's been so many times that we thought we were trying Uh and just getting off the birth control pill or getting off whatever form of protection isn't necessarily trying or trying hard enough if you don't know exactly when you're ovulating so but that for me really highlighted how little i knew about my body and how the reproductive system works and i think we are so conditioned in high school rightly so to not get pregnant Mm -hmm. you know i remember high school sex education it was like if you make out with someone too hard you might get pregnant yes um that i think i just had it in my head that like you have sex you get pregnant period yes and i never questioned and no one ever went beyond explaining that yeah. and so suddenly i find myself having to think about like wow okay so there's only a few days out of the month yeah. and i you know some women spend years on on the pill not even knowing whether or not they ovulate you don't ovulate every month right. um and some women don't drop mature eggs every time they ovulate and these are things that you just you really don't know until you start to have these conversations with your doctor and you have to initiate the conversations because right. most GYNs don't bring it up. Right. So that's when I got inspired to kind of start being a bit more vocal about it. And I kind of at that point made the decision that if my ex-husband and I were going to go through the whole fertility thing, that I would be quite vocal about it mm-hmm. and that I wouldn't like a lot of my friends and a lot of women I know keep it so private. Yeah. Because I just felt like that contributes to the... A, misinformation about it and the assumption that everyone's getting pregnant miraculously on their own in their mid-40s, but also to take away from the shame of infertility. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when my ex and I went through it, we were pretty open about the fact that we were trying to get pregnant, that we were doing IUI and the drugs and Mm -hmm. everything else. And then, you know, we went through what I describe in the book as fertility treatment life. Right. Um, which... I love that.
0: I love that. So that's what you called the IUI. That's what I
1: call the IUI yes. with no drug. Well, no, that's actually what I called timed sex with Clomid okay. um, and okay. timed sex with certain drugs that we had to take. And then IUI was like kind of the next step of fertility treatment. And then and we went through a couple of rounds of those. And when those didn't work, Dr. Noyes, my fertility doctor, said, OK, it's time for you guys to move up to IVF. OK. And at that point, we decided we probably don't want to stay married anymore. So IVF is not a good idea. Yeah. Um, And then coming out of that relationship in my mid-30s, having just spent the better part of two years trying to get pregnant, Uh I started to really think about this notion of fertility and infertility and not having these conversations and then having to face these really basic truths when you're getting out of a marriage at 35 that like, oh shit, I am actively making the decision now to potentially never having children.
0: Right. Um,
1: And and why haven't I thought about this sooner? And am I going to stay in this marriage just because I don't want to lose out on the potential of having children later? And you just start to question all these things. Yeah. And um, that's when I decided to freeze my eggs. Okay. And it's when I started to actively blog and write about it and to start to shout from the rooftops that women need to start thinking about this much earlier.
0: I want to get into all that a little bit like more in depth, like step by step. But I just want to go back to what you said about how the difficulty, like the actual difficulty of of getting pregnant. And you wrote this line in your book and you're like, why did no one ever tell me that getting pregnant is not half as easy as we think it is? And that line for me, I was like, yes. It's so true. Like we must have had the same sex education. It was almost like scared straight, you know, like everybody was just so paranoid that then I think that it doesn't like do any favors to men and women, you know, guys and girls growing up because you really don't know what's going on. And it's crazy to me how little people actually know about their bodies. And, you know, we'll talk about this a little bit more too, specifically in your book, but you do this chapter about like the lady bits And you break down, like, the menstruation cycle. And I have to be honest with you, I was like, oh, I didn't even know that there were four kind of phases. And I was like, I'm 44 years (laughs) old. And I'm like, you know, talk about fertility and infertility a lot now. And I didn't know that. Yeah. So it's like, wow, there's so much that we don't know. So I thought that was really interesting. I think that,
1: you know, I go into the high school sex education quite a bit in the book and in the blog. Yeah. Because... It's an interesting dilemma in that, you know, the, that, the kind of sex education that you and I got was a reaction to a teen pregnancy epidemic, right. and no one wants to go back to that. So right, right, right. I understand why we were educated the way we were educated. It, it was also a response to all of the STDs and, like, coming out of the AIDS epidemic. Yeah. So I, I understand why we were educated yeah, the way we worked. were, and it worked. <laughs> it because worked. Teen pregnancy is at an all-time low. But then the other thing that started to happen is women of your generation and my generation also started to gain true independence and started to put off motherhood by choice right. and marriage by right. choice. And so this, you know, the the teen pregnancy epidemic was on the decline. Women were starting to gain like real independence, not mm-hmm. just like I make some supplemental income independence. Mm-hmm. And no one addressed the gap between high school sex education and then what really happens at a certain age. And no one wants to take on that responsibility. So... You kind of, once you've made it through high school without getting pregnant, it's almost like, okay, congratulations. We are now done educating you right. on your reproductive right. organs. And unless, you know, you major in something that's relevant in college, you don't really revisit it until there's a problem to deal with exactly. and you're talking to your doctor. Yeah.
0: Well, that's why I think your book is so great. And I was telling you before we started recording, I, do, I honestly think it should be required reading for women <laughs> in their 20s and beyond because it really does break, kind of break it down. Like, here's what's happening in your body. You know, this is the no bullshit stuff that you need to know. And I just think it would be so helpful to people who, you know, are are wanting to have babies later or are just not really sure what's going on. Because another thing that you talk about, which I love, was that one reason that women feel like they can put off having kids till later is because culture sends these messages You see these celebrities who are in their 40s or like the the dads are like in their 60s and 70s, these, you know, celebrity guys who are seemingly having no problems. You know, like I remember Halle Berry, you talk about her in your book and I talked about that in my book proposal as well. The same exact thing where it was like, wow, she's like 45 and had a kid, and maybe she did have a medical intervention, but she certainly never talked about it. Yeah. So I feel like stuff like that really makes you feel like, oh, I can do that if I need to.
1: Well, and it's almost a, um, I think as women, we're so conditioned to think we have to breed that if Mm -hmm. we can't, then it's a sense of failure. Mm -hmm. And so I think seeing women do it seemingly so easily, Mm -hmm. you kind of it's it's almost a little bit competitive. It's like, I want it to be really easy for me too. Right. But yeah, I mean, I think, so the, the first thing that contributed, I think that contributes to this issue is the lack of education. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing is um, culture sends us faulty signals and women don't want to talk about, and I think that's changing a lot now. Yeah. I think there are now a lot of, well, there there are some examples um, of celebrities actively talking about egg freezing yep. and talking about IVF and the fertility issues that they've had. But back when I started writing the book, it was like, oh, Halle Berry miraculously had a child at 50 or however old right. she was. And same with Janet Jackson. It's like, why can't we just be honest about right. the fact that it was probably yes. a medically induced
0: pregnancy. Exactly. Exactly. So just back to what was going on with you. So you, you started to do IUI. So my ex and I did, um,
1: I think three rounds. God, I don't even remember now because we had a couple, we had a few rounds of light because, because I was healthy. I mean, my, my, I have plenty of eggs and I'll talk a bit more about the egg freezing process so I didn't know what was going on with me really but everything looked like it was normal yeah so like they weren't worried about my follicle count or my like everything looked totally fine so I'm not sure why I wasn't getting pregnant and then I Mm. learned through the egg freezing process so much more about my body and what was going on but But my point is is we went through a lot of light treatments, and Mm -hmm. I say that in air quotes because my doctor was like, you're totally healthy. There's no reason that you shouldn't be getting pregnant. You just have to, like, keep trying. It will happen. And so with that in mind, I thought, well, I don't want to move up too quickly then to IUI and IVF because if she's saying I'm fine, then Uh I'm going to keep trying so we, we did at least four rounds of, like, I was taking Clomid, and we were having timed sex. And when that didn't work, we finally moved on to, I think, two rounds of IUI. Mm-hmm. And after that second round is when she said move up to IVF. But even that was taking a toll on our marriage. Yeah, and so tell me I about just, that if
0: you don't mind. Like, yeah. what, what was going on?
1: Well... First of all, I just want to say that like my ex-husband is a lovely guy. Mm-hmm. So I feel like this can so easily turn into, you know, husband bashing. Oh, but no. he was yeah. he just you know, I think like a lot of men, I don't know that he had the same sense of urgency around having a child. Okay. And he certainly didn't want to like upset our lifestyle to do it. And and suddenly when you have two people who are both professionals and both mm-hmm. traveling and mm-hmm. working a lot, like, the last thing you want to do in your free time or the last thing you want to put on the calendar is we have to go have sex or or worse, I have to go and ejaculate into a cup right. today. Admin, can you please write that into my calendar? Right, like, right, right. it does fuck things up a little bit. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. suddenly you go from being like this happy, carefree, on top of the world, we can do whatever we want, whenever we want, couple, to like... We have to schedule sex, yeah. really, uh, um, and it just becomes really unsexy very quickly. And I think yes. we learned a lot about each other. And you know, I learned about how he coped with stuff in life and stress, and uh-huh. he learned how important a child was to me, and like that it would drive me a little bit insane if mm-hmm. if that couldn't happen.
0: Yeah,
1: and that actually it would make me question the whole reason for the marriage existing, which is also another interesting thing to think about. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so we weren't on the same page it uh-huh. caused a lot of stress and there were other issues and I'm not saying that the fertility treatments were the cause right. of no, the end of it. the marriage totally. but it just it's was one like of the another factors yeah for
0: sure and I think that's pretty common and you know I love that you also mentioned that you did you know you you have to weigh your am I going to stay in this to have you know a biological kid with this person and I think sometimes people do do that yeah and they end up so I think it's really brave and like honorable that you were able to recognize like, okay, even though this is going to put the future and having kids up in the air, it would, might be easier to have kids if I stayed with him. Yeah. I think that's great that you took the leap and were like, this isn't my person, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it was a hard thing to do, especially at that age. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like I was 28. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I also wasn't, Forty-five, but it was a weird age to make that decision. Yeah, and I think just coming, seeing so much divorce and how it affects kids. Yeah, and coming from a, I came from a pretty ugly divorce family myself. Mm -hmm. And and people do it all kinds of different ways. Like I have, I also have lots of friends who get. A divorce, and they're all lovely and friendly, and and all is honky dory, and it's probably even healthier than if if the parents had stayed mm-hmm. together. But I I personally didn't want to be in a situation where I was getting a divorce at forty two with a couple of kids in tow versus at thirty five with like myself still intact yeah. and like coming out of it unscathed.
0: Right, right. right. Um yeah. And I I,
1: I knew deep down inside, and I didn't know how yet, um, but I kind of knew that like. I would figure out a way that Mm -hmm. if I wanted to be a mother, I would become a mother, Mm -hmm. whether that was me doing it alone or Mm -hmm. finding someone else. But I think the egg freezing bit also made it feel like there are things I can do to preserve my ability to have children.
0: Okay. So, so you took a break and you and your husband split up. How long before you decided to kind of take charge of your fertility and go through with the egg freezing and all of that? Um, I
1: decided pretty early after we split up, Yeah, but I finally did it like a year later. Okay.
0: So did you know anybody who had done it or like were you kind of going into it blind?
1: No, I I have a lot of friends who had done it it. and who had done variations Uh of fertility treatments. I have a very good friend who had fertility struggles for years she ended up getting pregnant with donor eggs Uh and i remember she sat me down one of the
0: women in the book yeah she was in the
1: book yeah and she sat me down and said whatever you do don't do nothing about this like go and freeze your eggs Mm. and that'll give you some time and space to like figure out what you want to do but please freeze your eggs and so i was like yeah you know what you're right i Uh do i do need to do that okay so i did it Um.
0: About a year later. Okay. Yeah. So, how did you prepare for it? You said that you were you wanted to get in like the best emotional and physical shape. your Life. So, what kinds of things were you doing? Like, well, so this is
1: silly. Like, I I did this mostly because of where I was at the time. I think that for me, freezing my eggs was more emotionally charged than it is for a lot of women because it was a reaction to coming out of a marriage where I was actively trying to have children. Mm. So interesting. I think that. It's, you know, some women do it as just like, oh, this is something I need to do to preserve and prepare. But I was doing it as a, re- so, so okay I think I just needed to like feel mentally okay that like this is what I was doing rather than having kids. Because that was a big struggle for me emotionally through the egg freezing piece was like when I finally got through it all and after all the hormones and all of that, yeah. I was like, Great, I have twenty frozen eggs to show for them, but no baby. Like right. I might as well have just finished the process and done the IVF, because um, that's kind of where I was mentally. Okay, um, I see what you mean. And so I was a little bit emotionally fragile, and yeah. I also felt like being stressed out clearly did not help in getting pregnant. Right. So I wanted to make sure that I was like in the best state of mind mm-hmm. to produce as many eggs as possible. I. I've, you know, a lot of women, if they don't produce enough eggs, the first time they have to go through two rounds, I was like, I can't afford to go through two rounds. I need this one round mm-hmm. to be really successful. Um, and so I just kind of tried to prepare for that mentally. And um, I mean, I just exercised a lot and ate really healthy and yeah. stopped drinking. Yeah, and yeah. Um, and that was kind of, that was kind of it. But I, I don't think that you have to do those yeah, things.
0: Yes. Right. So you started your blog as you were going through the process Mm -hmm. called Frozen Please Mm -hmm. to document everything. And it ended up becoming this huge thing. And you were doing like all these different components and you had contributors Mm -hmm. and all this stuff, which eventually led to this book deal, which is incredible. So tell me about what happened once the blog got going. Like, was it therapeutic for you? And what was the kind of response that you were getting from people too?
1: It was therapeutic, but I don't think that's why I was doing it. Although that was a good little side effect. The response was so incredibly positive. Mm -hmm. And now like, now I look back and I cringe a little bit because I was so (laughs) open and, and and I don't regret it at all. It's just like seeing yourself on video, giving yourself shots and like putting it out there for the world to see. It's like, wow, I really did that. I really put it all out there for the world. Yeah, to see. but it's so great. And I'm glad I did. Yeah. It's just, it's a funny thing to look back at right, now. Right, right. Um, but the response was so positive. I mean, everyone just wanted to know more. Everyone was like, I'm so glad you're finally talking about it. Like suddenly women came out of the woodworks and yeah. started to tell me about their own struggles. And the thing that I learned um, through writing the blog is that once you start talking about it women are really open and honest they just need cues mm-hmm. from other women mm-hmm. and i did this big talk at j p morgan chase um, about a year ago mm-hmm. and there must have been like 2 300 women in this giant auditorium mm-hmm. and this is at like this is a place of business right. like this is where all these women worked and i was up there with the with my client at the time, the chief brand officer, Susan Cannavari, who's also now a great friend of mine. And she was interviewing me. And then we took questions from the floor and we didn't think there would be that many questions Mm because it's a giant auditorium Mm -hmm. and it's super personal. And these women all work together. But I think, and then, and it like, we went way over in time. People got so personal, asked so many questions and told their own stories. I felt like it was a giant therapy session for everyone. So I think the point is that the blog or w- whether it's a panel um, discussion or an mm-hmm. interview um, or the blog, mm-hmm. once you talk about it openly, women will open up and mm-hmm. will ask questions and will share their own stories. And right. I think um, I think especially if women in certain positions start doing it, like I think one of the interesting things about the Chase example that I just shared is that the CMO of Chase, who's a woman, got up and shared her own story when mm-hmm. she introduced me. And so I think that also inspired women to, right. to share. Because it's like, oh, she did it. And she's in this position of power and making decisions right. here. So it's okay for me to share this yeah. story. No one's going to shame or judge yeah. me. Yeah,
0: I think there was a big thing that happened when Michelle Obama came out about doing IVF mm-hmm. with Sasha and Malia. And that was almost like a turning point where after she said that in her book and like on her book tour, so many people started yeah. to come out and be like, "Oh, I, I, did, you know, that I too, did that yeah. too." Or I had a miscarriage, or yeah. I've been struggling, or I'm not able to get pregnant. You know, so that was really cool. And you're right; like those yeah. kinds of people opening. And the and doors.
1: that's that's kind of what the blog ended up doing. Like I got so many messages from people. Yeah. And I was like, "Oh wow!" That I mean, people were sharing really right personal things. Yeah.
0: So tell me how the that t- turned into a book ultimately.
1: So the blog. I never had like a long-term plan for the blog. I, I wanted a I I have a full-time job that pays the bills. The blog certainly wasn't <laughs> doing that. It was my little side hustle slash, it was just a passion project. Like yeah. I never expected it to go anywhere. But, um, and I thought, well, after I'm done with egg freezing, I'll probably stop with the blog mm-hmm. and, um, and focus on one job at a time. But I had a publisher approach me. She, a friend of mine, mentioned my blog to her. Mm-hmm. And she looked at it and she thought, oh, this is great. Like, this is so of the moment. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, when the whole egg freezing thing was starting to blow up. So she approached me and said, How would you like to write a book? And I naively thought, Well, how hard could it be to write a book?
0: Right. You're like, I'll just turn these blog sure. entries into a book. Yeah. Yeah.
1: She's like, Now it has to be like, content that is totally exclusive to the book I was like oh, okay well I better start blogging I just stopped blogging like now because right. I'm gonna run out of totally content but um so that's how the blog turned into a book okay. she approached me and yeah. asked me if I wanted to write a book and, and how was
0: the book writing process for you it
1: was so difficult <laughs> it sure. was really yeah. hard um yeah so I I mean I work in in marketing and advertising and yeah. my real job and Part of my job is to take complex thoughts and simplify them. Like that's at the end of the day, what advertising is, is what's the pithiest way you can sell shit to someone sort of. I'm oversimplifying it, Um, (laughs) but, but it is like, it's, it's about communicating complex messages as simply as you possibly can. Right. Writing a book is exactly the opposite. It's like fleshing everything It's like flesh it out. Go deeper. How about a chapter on this instead? At one point, my editor said to me, why don't you do a chapter on adoption? And I was like... Because that would be like writing a cookbook and putting a chapter on seamless in it. Like, it's <laughs> so, why would I that's do that? Good. Like, that's not what this book is about. But the point is, is because that's you good. have to get to a certain word count and it has to be a certain thickness. Like, you have to right. really can't flesh be things out. not a pamphlet and yeah. it's not an
0: ad. Like, yeah. yeah, exactly. And I was
1: like, but how much more do people need to know about this concept or subject. So anyway, it was challenging and I'm so glad I did it. Yes. And and of course books need to go a lot deeper than blogs. Yeah. But personally it was a challenge yeah. and I went through a period of, I think it was actually therapeutic in the sense that like this became my baby. Uh-huh. Um, Uh-oh. it's the thing yeah. that I had to like rush home to every night. It's the thing that got me up at four in the morning so that I could get a couple of hours of writing in before mm-hmm. I went to the office. So it, it was um, especially, you know, coming out of a marriage and having to put off parenthood for a while. Mm-hmm. It, it was a really good way for me to, like, kind of get through that. And at the end of the day, I think it taught me a lot about myself, but it also um, produced something that I think is really important for women mm-hmm. to know about and read. Um, yes. But, yeah, I I, I don't know. You know, people always ask me, what's the next book? And I'm like, I, I don't know if I have another book in me unless someone just wants to go ahead and write it for me because it is it's actually kind of a it's such a solitary exercise you know again in advertising you collaborate you get lots of thoughts and inputs from lots of different people all the time when you write a book the editor doesn't even want to talk to you until you've written like 20,000 words or whatever it is Um, so it's it's a very different kind of creative mindset
0: well I think that the book I said this before but I'll repeat it's so good and your voice is so unique and like you. you make it very interesting and there's funny bits and there's sad parts you know it's, it's all the things but I love it in the dedication <laughs> that you write mom I haven't given you grandchildren yet but how about a book in the meantime and I was like okay that sets the tone for the book and it was like funny and heartfelt and I thought that was such a great Thank dedication you. Um, but then right off the bat you get into a lot of stuff that I want to talk about a little bit more to women's reproductive rights Mm -hmm. And like, what's, you know, I think it was 2016 when you started writing it. So the, he shall go (laughs) remain nameless. Yeah. The, uh, you know, our new president was in office and you, you write, um, America elected a president who's threatened to seriously hinder women's rights by, among other things, disavowing our reproductive freedom, which is so true. And I agree with you, but since then, it's only gotten worse right? with all the shit that's going on yeah. right now. So yeah. what's your take on it all this Roe v. Wade and the abortion clinics and it's like handmaid's tale and real I life. I mean,
1: like- it's, it's truly scary.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And it's so, it's, it's actually something that is hard for me to reconcile the two ends of the conversation. And I, I kind of, I talk about birth control as a spectrum of birth control right now is defined really as birth prevention, Mm -hmm. but birth control really should be about preventing birth when you don't want to get pregnant, but it's also about how do you get pregnant when you do want to get pregnant because control is also being able to proactively help that process along rather than just preventing it. And I bring that up in the context Mm -hmm. of this because if you think about that spectrum, birth control as we define it today, the prevention of pregnancy and having mm-hmm. babies is kind of like the Roe versus like all the arguments that we're having right now and the, the bit by bit taking away women's rights to these clinics. And on the other hand, the sort of well-to-do affluent get to have a conversation about how they proactively get pregnant and fertility treatments. And the two are so disconnected. And I think that just highlights the gap between the poor and the rich, mm-hmm. the underserved and the mm-hmm. privileged and um, and it's sad to me because it makes me feel a little bit guilty for even having these conversations I mean, just a couple of years ago I was thinking about how health insurance needs to better cover these kinds of services and mm-hmm. fertility treatments, and they're getting there, and they should, and I still would argue that. But it's so hard to stand up on that soapbox and have that argument now when I know that women are actually losing the right to terminate pregnancies yes. and to yes. birth control and Planned Parenthood as being yes. un- defunded. Um, it suddenly becomes hard to stand on the fertility treatment soapbox because yeah. it feels it feels like we have to actually go back in time and help this part of the conversation first. Yeah, fix first. that
0: first, almost. Yeah and, yeah, and I don't
1: think that's... I think you can have two you conversations can, at the I'd same time. but I see what time. you're saying.
0: Well, we should say that you, you donate the, some of the proceeds of your book to Planned Parenthood, mm-hmm. which is amazing, and that's great. Yeah. What do you think's going to happen? I mean, and what can we do as women? Like, how do we, aside from, like, marching and signing all the petitions and donating and you know all the stuff that we do voting yeah I do think that we have
1: to somehow figure out a way to change the narrative and the conversation Mm -hmm. I think that unfortunately like so much of the things that we deem right and wrong in this country and so much of our values are steeped in religion and one view when like, these are medical decisions. I don't know why this is like caught up in religion Mm -hmm. and why it's caught up in politics. These are Mm -hmm. conversations that should be had between a woman and her doctor. Um, and I think until we can change the course of those conversations and start to like take the moral judgment out Mm -hmm. of whether a woman has an abortion or not, it's always going to be really polarizing. Mm -hmm. And until it's really polarizing, women have to get out and vote for the right people. And we have to stop voting for Mm -hmm. a bunch of old white dicks who are threatening our rights left and right. Right. Um,
0: Agreed. And
1: that's it. Like, fuck marches. I'm not going to any more marches. Like, start voting.
0: Yes, yes. So another thing you talked about in the book that I think is the way that you mapped it out was really great and spot on. And you know, you go through a lot of life phases where it's, like, not wanting kids, happily married and trying for kids, being single again, wondering how you'd have a baby, and then wondering if motherhood is even the right choice. So where where are you right now? Like, what are you thinking these days, if you don't mind me asking? No, not at all.
1: So I actually um, started to try and get pregnant again as a single woman last year. Okay. Um, and I had to go through six rounds of IUI before insurance would kick in and pay for for IVF. Yeah. So I've that was a process that I started last year. Okay. Um, so
0: you used your frozen eggs, or no, did you No, I generated
1: another... uh, new. Gotcha. Eggs. Well, and, and again, it was just IUI, so it was unmedicated. Okay. Because so it was again, like timed I'm still IUIs. like yes, it's gotcha. timed IUIs. Okay. Um, I. So when I went to freeze my eggs, I had like 34 eggs. They froze 28 of them. I yeah. react really well to the drugs. Like yeah. my ovaries seem to be working. I'm like clockwork, still <laughs> knock on wood. And so my doctor was like, let's just do timed IUIs to meet the insurance threshold. And you don't have to spend money on drugs or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, now what ended up happening is I I got pregnant with my first one and miscarried. Mm-hmm. And then I started trying again. And went through four more. And on my sixth one, I was like, okay, I'm about to start this new job. If I don't get pregnant with this last round, mm-hmm. I'm going to put this off for about six months. Just because I'm okay to start a new job pregnant. But I'm not okay starting a new job and rushing to the clinic every day. to like
0: right. That was
1: going to be too much. So right. I decided, okay, for my sixth round, I do want to do a medicated round of IUI. Mm-hmm. And what ended up happening is... Um, I was giving myself the folistim shots. So Mm -hmm. the folistim is what stimulates your ovaries to produce more than one mature egg Mm -hmm. for um, preparation of an IUI or an IVF cycle. But my ovaries, again, react really well to the drugs. And in this case, um, I ended up producing 17, like they were starting to count my follicles and about a week into the cycle, they were like, you have way too many mature so molecules, uh, uh, follicles, so we're not going to be able to do an IUI. Let's keep tracking this, but we probably won't be able to do an IUI because you'll end up being pregnant with four kids, with four babies. I was like, okay, well, I don't want that. <laughs> um, but I also wow. didn't want to stop that cycle because now I had spent like thousands of dollars on drugs. And yeah. so I decided to turn it into an IVF cycle. Okay. Which was crazy, Um, suddenly they had to up my medication and um, it ended up costing me tons more money than I had planned to spend that month, but it was that or flush everything Mm -hmm. down the drain. Um, and so I ended up getting 17 eggs. They fertilized 12 of them of the 12, five turned into five day old blastocysts mm-hmm. and one of those turned into healthy embryo. And I state all of those numbers as just like statistically right. at my age, yeah. how many eggs it takes to get to one healthy yeah. embryo. Yeah.
0: Cause how old are you now?
1: 41. Okay.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So that's
0: what happened with me at 41. I had one healthy embryo yeah. after all this. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so, but, you know, my doctor said the good news is that you made a healthy embryo, mm-hmm. and, like, these numbers are totally normal, and to even get 17 eggs on having started you on the low dose mm-hmm. of IUI cycle rather than IVF cycle is a really good sign and blah, blah. So, anyway, so now I have 28 frozen eggs, a frozen embryo, and still no baby. Okay. Um, but I, I decided to then put the baby thing on hold for a few months. Uh-huh until I kind of got settled at the new job. Yeah. And now is around the time that I was gonna revisit okay. and go back to my doctor and start so, trying again. Okay, So I haven't done that yet. Yeah. Um, I'm traveling like crazy. It's just that kind of work situation again. Right. I'm fortunate that it's a very, um, first of all, I'm very open and transparent about this. So this was a conversation that I had with them before I even came into the job. But I'm fortunate that everyone's very supportive, and so I don't feel the pressure of I can't start trying because right. they're expecting great. me yeah. to, like, yeah. not try for a while, but yeah. but I just would feel better about getting a few things done at work before uh-huh. I go into this. So I'm, a, I'm on a little bit of a pause, but okay. I think probably in the next few months I will go back, and I've already talked to my doctor about what the next step would be at this point. I think she wants me to do fresh rounds mm-hmm. still. She's like, until you're producing eggs, let's just keep doing that. Keep going. Yeah, because you want to save your frozen eggs for as long as you can, because you may want to. You might decide later that you do want a second child, uh-huh. and maybe at 47, when you decide you want that second child, right. your eggs won't you won't be able to produce your eggs, so you'll have these frozen eggs. So she's really,
0: like, protecting those frozen eggs. Yeah. Really. Science is so cool. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. It's, like, incredible. So in doing all the research and stuff with the book, is there anything that you came across that just really surprised you or, like, threw you for a loop other than, you know, the, like, how hard it is to actually get pregnant and all that stuff? Yeah. Was there anything else that you you found that you were just like, whoa?
1: I mean, I I think that the biggest thing remains the realization of how not easy Mm -hmm. it is. Yeah. You know, I think some of the other things were more like little personal things that I thought about along the way. Like I realized at one point that, you know, being a single mom wouldn't be the worst thing in the world because you have to think through all these different concepts Mm -hmm. of like, what do these? frozen eggs mean? I think a lot of women freeze their eggs thinking, well, naturally I'll meet someone and then we'll use those frozen eggs. But, but, you know, there are other ways to do it. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's another thing that women should consider is like, you may not have the traditional family, whether you're a heterosexual woman or not, the truth is, especially in New York City, there are fewer straight men <laughs> than right. there are women. And so that is just something to consider. Yeah. And why not? Like, if you can do it, who right. says that you have to have Yeah, the traditional setup to have a baby? Totally.
0: So do you have? would that be kind of your advice to people who might be listening, who might be thinking, should I freeze my eggs? Should I not? I think just
1: being open-minded to to how you go about things and creating lots of different options for yourself because it may not work out the way that you thought it would and that's not a bad thing it may Mm -hmm. actually be even better than what you thought you were gonna get Mm -hmm. but and it's not for all women like some women Um, they don't want kids enough that they would do it themselves. Like they want the family unit. And I have lots of friends who've said, I've frozen my eggs, but if I don't meet anyone, I'm totally fine to just let those eggs be frozen forever because I'm not really interested in having a child on my Mm. own. And that's totally fine. As long as it's how you really feel rather than a construct that society has said you have to be married and you have to have a partner in order to be able to have a child. Right. Um, and I think that actually there are some friends who I think if they were a bit more honest would admit that they are, they haven't met anyone and they regret not just having a child anyway. Mm -hmm. And so I just think being open-minded about it. Yeah. Just being honest
0: with yourself, like figuring out what you truly, truly want in your heart. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And being okay with like, this is not. Um, there is no. Um, there is no right or wrong way to do it.
0: Yeah, perfect. Well, I can't wait to see what happens next for you. Me and too. Read your next book, and <laughs> I want everyone to get this book, Eggs Unscrambled. It's so good. It's really. It's it's really entertaining and just really thank informative you. too. So, thank you for talking to me of today. Of course, thank you. <laughs> Hey again, guys. So thanks for listening to Agnes' story and thank you to her for sharing it. I would love it if you guys would pass this episode around to anybody you can think of who's in their 20s or 30s who might be thinking about freezing their eggs, doesn't know much about it, isn't sure if they want to have kids, wants to preserve their fertility options for later on. I just feel like everything she taught us today and talked about was so informational and beneficial. So I would love the word to spread around. And definitely make sure you guys check out her book. I will post about it as well, but it's called Eggs Unscrambled. She's on the cover. It's an awesome book cover, which I will post. And I will talk to you guys next time. Thanks.